and assured of that promise of the gospel that those who confess their sins and turn to Christ have the forgiveness of their sins. And it's in that hope that we can worship our God this morning. Let's now open God's word that he would teach us. Our scripture reading this, this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2. We've been working through the letters of John in, in, on the Lord's Day or on, on the Lord's Supper Sundays. And our text this morning comes from 1 John 2, verse 15 to 17, but we'll read all the way from verse 1 to 17 to hear that again in context. So then 1 John 2, verse 1. The Apostle writes, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments." Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. So far, our reading from God's Word. Once again, the texts that we'll be focusing on this morning are the verses 15 through 17 of 1 John 2. It's only three verses, so let's read those verses again. First John 2, verse 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we prepare ourselves to go to the Lord's table, we need to hear John's command and his warning that we do not love the world or the things in the world. As John says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When we come to Christ's table, it's a declaration that we belong to Christ. That's why we come. We say, by being here, I belong to Christ. And therefore, it's a declaration of our love for Christ, and therefore also our love for the Father through Christ. And so we need to take John's warning then to heart. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If anyone, in other words, loves the world, he has no place at Christ's table. Because Christ's table is for those who belong to him and therefore who love the Father, which John says if you don't, uh, what John says, you don't love the Father if indeed you love the world. To put it another way then, when we come forward to this table, we're declaring our choice to be counted together with Christ. We've seen this in Paul in, in the last weeks in Philippians. We're saying we choose to stand with Christ. And then by that very choice, we're also saying we choose to forsake the world. According to John, you cannot love God and the world. It has to be one or the other, and it will always be one or the other. If we love the world, the love of the Father is not in us. Indeed, that's, that's part of the promise that each of you has made in your profession of faith, where you, you were asked, Third, do you declare that you love the Lord God and that it's your heartfelt desire to serve Him according to His word, to forsake the world, and to crucify your old nature? So again, we want to take John's warning here to heart. Do not love the world or the things in the world, because if you do, you do not love the Father, and therefore you do not belong at Christ's table. Now we want to understand what John means here. When the Bible speaks of the world, it can often mean different things. Sometimes it refers to the created universe. We know that that's not what John means here, because he says the world is not from God. The created universe certainly is. Sometimes it can refer to the human race as a whole. Uh, we also know that that's not what John means because he says you should not love the world and we certainly should love the human race. And uh, we are part of the human race, so it, it would make no sense to say do not love the world. And sometimes, like in this verse... It refers to the world as in rebellion against God. It's the same way that the Lord Jesus used the word world when he says, do not be surprised when the world hates you. It, it refers to the unbelieving human race. It's, it's unbelieving human society. Uh, it's what John referred earlier in this very chapter as, as the kingdom of darkness or the world in darkness. So that's what John means when he says the world. We also, we also want to understand rightly what he means when he says, what he means by the word love. 
Because there is a different sense in which we are called to love the world. Jesus Christ said it himself in Matthew 5, verse 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And those enemies would certainly be part of the world. And indeed, John tells us that God himself loves the world. John 3.16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. So there's a sense in which we are supposed to love the world in that we're imitating God in his love to show kindness and friendship and love to our neighbors, including obviously our unbelieving neighbors. We want to seek their well-being. We want to pray for their salvation. And you could call that a, a holy, redemptive love. That's the love of God. It's a holy, redemptive love. Here, John is talking about a different kind of love. It's a love for the kingdom of darkness itself and the works of darkness that happen within it. In other words, it's, a, it's not a wholly redemptive love. It's a sinful, selfish, participating love. A love for the same things that the world loves and a desire to join the world in chasing after those things. And that kind of love, John says, has no place in the life of a Christian. Now to make sure that we understand what he means by the things in the world, John is helpful and he breaks it down for us into three things that define the kingdom of darkness and fallen human society. Three things that make the world what it is. Verse 16, he says, For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. These are the things in the world that John is warning us about. The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is sort of John's tweet about what, what makes the world what it is. What makes the unbelieving world tick. This is what produces all of the hatred and betrayal and abandonment and deceit and violence and warfare and godlessness in the world. It's these three things or the love of those three things. It's interesting, if you look uh, right back to Genesis 3 at, at the temptation that was offered to Eve when Satan tempted her, it says in Genesis 3, verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the desires of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, the desire of the eyes, and that the tree was desired to make one wise, the pride of life, she took its fruit and ate, and she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So you see even there, right at the beginning when sin entered the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of of life. Now we want to understand that for all three of these, the lust of the flesh, the, the desire and lust, it's the same word, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, we recognize them as works of darkness because Scripture calls them that, not because that's how they present themselves to us in the hour of temptation. Uh, they wouldn't be attractive if that's how they presented themselves to us. John warns us not to love these things precisely because we are at risk 
of loving these things uh, to the world and to ourselves when we are tempted by these three things. They don't look like darkness to us. They look like opportunities. They look like pleasures. They look like fun. They look glamorous. They look luxurious. They look exciting. And to obtain them, we know that people lust and kill and hate and betray and abandon and lie. And so we should be able to recognize them for what they are, but we don't. When we fall in love with these things, which is what John is warning us not to do, we do so because they present themselves to us as desirable things. Let's work through those things very briefly. First, the desires of the flesh. Uh, These are not simply the natural desires that our bodies have. Those, of course, are part of God's creation. We hunger for food. We desire sex. Those are good created things. Flesh in itself is not evil. But the reason the Bible, and especially the New Testament, speaks so negatively of the flesh is because the desires of our flesh the desires of the flesh that we actually have to deal with, our own flesh, is fallen. We don't deal anywhere in life with perfect flesh. Flesh as such is not the issue, but right now the only flesh that we know of and work with is fallen, sinful flesh. Our flesh is filled then with evil desires, and it's very easy to let those desires control us. This is the first characteristic of the world that John says the world is running after, the lust of the flesh. Now when we hear that, the one we probably think of most obviously would be sexual lust. We live in a culture that's filled with it, that's probably, possibly more sexualized than any other culture in in history. And pornography has brought that lust right into our homes through our computers and our smartphones. It's on our billboards as you drive down the highway. It's on our TVs. It's on our Facebook feed. Our world is saturated with the the sexual lust of the flesh. And so that's probably the, the one we think of the most obviously because of how prominent it is in our culture. That said, we shouldn't limit the lust of the flesh to only sexual lust. When the Bible speaks of the lusts of the flesh, it includes both our bodies and our emotions because they are, they are inseparable from our bodies. So Paul says in Galatians 5 verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, all those deal with sexual lust. But then the list goes on. Idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, he says, as I warned you before, that those who participate in such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. All of these can be considered lusts of the flesh. And when you look around, you do see a world that runs after these things with all its might. Many people live simply for these lusts of the flesh. So that's the first characteristic then of the world. The second that John warns us not to love is the desire of the eyes. This is the lust of covetousness. When sinners are not running after the lusts of their bodies and their emotions, then they are running after possessions. We call it keeping up with the Joneses. 
John calls it the lust of the eyes because it's chasing after whatever we lay our eyes upon. It's the reason that most Canadians are steeped in credit card debt. Uh, They are, like the preacher says in Ecclesiastes, chasing after the wind. So this is covetousness. It's chasing after what God has given to others or simply what God has not given to us. It's, It's greed. It's desiring more and more for ourselves. That kind of love as well, John warns us, it belongs to the kingdom of darkness and it has no place in the Christian life. If anyone is consumed with that love, and we should search our hearts honestly on that, then the love of the Father is not in him. One of the first marks of a Christian who is filled with the love of the Father is contentment with the goods that he or she has, which, and that contentment flows out of a love and trust in the Father. So that's the second desire that John warns us about, the lust of the eyes. And the third characteristic of the world that John warns us not to love is the pride of life. At its essence, human rebellion against God is rooted in pride. It's what Satan told Eve right from, the be- right from the beginning, eat from this fruit and you will be like God. It's pride. And we know as we look around, the unbelieving world is filled with this pride. And when people aren't chasing after the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes, then they are chasing after the pride of life. It's the pride of Nebuchadnezzar as he walked around his palace saying, look at all that my hands have made. It's when we believe that we are the center of the universe. It's basking in our own perceived greatness. The pride of life, we should recognize, is is characteristic of the world, not just individually. Every individual is consumed with it, but also collectively. The human race collectively is consumed with the pride of life. It's why we have pride parades. It's pride that says to God, we know better than you. And you find it in academia as well. Indeed, academia is steeped in this kind of pride. And so we should also here reflect soberly on John's warning. Do we love the world's approval? Also in academia, do we hunger for that approval? Love for the world is is a desire to be accepted by the world in its pride. It's fear of being outside the mainstream of the world. Probably, I would say, the three areas where this is most tempting and where compromise is the most obvious would be in the realms of human origins, human sexuality, and probably also human psychology. It's in those areas, as well as others, that, that, that compromise becomes very obvious. It's also there, you could argue, in, in ungodly political alliances. And that's true on both ends of, this, of the political spectrum. Are we ashamed to be fools in the eyes of the world? It's a question we ought to take seriously. So this, then, is the world as John summarizes it in one sentence. It's a swirling mix of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And John warns us then, do not love that world or those things in the world. Because love for the world is incompatible with love for God. 
And brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that loving the world does not necessarily mean moving to the city and living a hedonistic lifestyle uh, with uh, the, the, the centers of power and money in the world. The kingdom of darkness manifests itself wherever human beings are. And that includes in our own hearts and lives, even out here in the country where we might feel physically removed from those centers of of money and and power, the the kingdom of darkness still rears its head here as well. It's one of the dangers for homeschoolers, and it's true for Christian schoolers as well, that, that danger of believing that physical separation from the world automatically constitutes a separation of a separation from the world of the kind that the Bible requires of us. Uh, that is not necessarily the case. You might be physically separated from the rest of the world and just as much in love with the world in your own homes or in your own Christian schools. And so John warns us, and we need to hear that warning. Yes, we should love the world in the sense of loving lost sinners and desiring their salvation and building friendships with them for that purpose, but we must not love the world in the sense of participating with the world in its lusts and in its pride. Take this warning to heart before coming to the Lord's table. If anyone loves the world, John says, the love of the Father is not in him. We need to search our hearts when we hear this warning. What do the movies that we watch suggest? What do the clothes that we wear suggest? What do the things that we spend our money on suggest? What do the things that we talk about in our conversations suggest? What are the things that we post on social media? What do they suggest? We need to be honest with ourselves and search our hearts honestly here. John doesn't give this warning only to the church of his day. It's given to us as well. And it's given to us because we need to hear it. There is in all of us an inclination to love the world in all three of, uh, of the things that John mentions. And... And so John warns them about it severely. You can see the same warning in in James, uh, the letter of James. James warns the church of his time in in Jerusalem about the same thing. It's James 4, uh, verse 1. He says, You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend on your passions. And then listen to what he says. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. When we engage in that pursuit of the lust of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the pride of life, We make ourselves, by that pursuit, friends with the world in all of the wrong ways. And so we need to hear the warning also of the Lord Jesus. If the world hated me, it will hate you. The approval of the world, it feels good, but the Lord Jesus warns us about it then in no uncertain terms. To be a Christian means we must categorically reject the world and the things in the world. 
Now, when we hear this warning, our, our inclination is going to be to downplay, to downplay this warning by focusing on all the things that John does not mean. And, and I mentioned some of those things a moment ago. We want to say, yes, but there's nothing wrong with loving the world as such. And we are supposed to love unbelievers. And so that means we should be involved in their culture. And we should watch their movies in order to understand them. And we should be able to enjoy their TV shows or appreciate their art. And we could go on and on. And, and there's truth to it. The light of nature can be found even in the world. So yes, we can learn from things that we observe in the world. We can appreciate observations that the world makes. Sure, all of those things are true. But now, having considered what John is not saying, we need to hear what he is saying. Let's not just think about what he doesn't mean. Let's take to heart what he does mean. He gives us this warning because we need to hear it. And if you hear this warning and you can't identify any part of your heart where this warning speaks to you, then I would argue you probably have not yet heard the warning as you ought to. Do not love the world. He gives it that warning, because we need to hear it. He gives us, in in verse 17, one more reason to watch that we do not fall in love with the world. Uh, So 1 John 2, verse 17, he says, The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Brothers and sisters, we're coming to this table precisely because we believe that. God, in his grace, has taken us out of this world which is destined for judgment and counted us together with Christ. And we come to this table because that's the response of faith to what God has done for us. We choose to be counted with Christ now, which means being hated with the world now and possibly persecuted by the world now. We come to be with Christ now because we know that's our only hope for being rescued from a world that is passing away. When we come to this table, then, we're making a statement of faith. We're saying, I belong to Christ, and I am crucified to this world. My life is lost to this world as my Lord commanded me to lose it because it's hidden in Christ. And I pray that that would then be a statement of faith that's true for all of us as we come. Do not love the world. It's passing away anyways. It's under God's judgment. It has nothing to offer us that we can keep except for death and the judgment of God. The one who does the will of God abides forever. Consider this, brothers and sisters, and consider your lives in light of this warning. By coming to this table, you are declaring yourself to be dead to this world and to be counted together with Christ instead. May God then grant that that would be a choice that's made with integrity for each one of us who comes, and that it would not be contradicted by the way that we live the rest of the week. And so, brothers and sisters, as you come, come confessing your sins to God, and come dying to the world, and then do come. Come and sit in fellowship with Christ, with a heart that's truly united to his and dead to the world as his is, but alive to God. And remember, we are living on the threshold of eternity. So come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Amen.